Welcome to Sharp Iron Back to the Forge. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for joining us for this special podcast edition of Sharper Iron, in which we take a look at some listener email and questions. Going back to the series on First and Second Peter with a question about false teaching this afternoon, this morning, whenever you happen to be listening. We're recording in the morning. I've got Pastor Dustin Beck with me today. He's the pastor at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas. He's going to help us with this email. Pastor Beck, thanks for coming over today. Absolutely. My pleasure. So the listener email that we have comes to us, again, concerning the series on First and Second Peter. I'll read some of it. It deals with false teaching. The listener writes, It's pretty easy to identify false prophets today in some cases. For instance, Joel Osteen teaching Jesus as bread king, or the ELCA and other mainline denominations teaching Jesus as social justice warrior, or the Roman Catholic Church with the authority of the Pope over the authority of Scripture. But what about the pastors who preach a works righteousness or decision theology? Others I know say they believe in the saving power of Jesus, but they layer on it their decision for Christ or a works righteousness theology. From our Orthodox Lutheran perspective, are the pastors who preach this false prophets? That is the question before us today. How do we distinguish false teaching, true teaching, false teachers, true teachers, how much false teaching is too much false teaching? Perhaps some of these are are questions that that we're going to be thinking about today. So, Pastor Beck, thinking about the question, especially about the pastors who preach a works righteousness or a decision theology, where do you want to start? Well, we should probably start with uh, decision theology in specific, and then we can maybe move, because that was the, the specific question. Decision theology, works righteousness, those are those seem to be on the listener's um at least on his mind. Um, and then we can move out to a maybe broader conversation about uh, heterodoxy, about um, how much leaven leavens the whole lump. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah. So, so we can start there. So works righteousness, decision theology, how would you define that, first of all? Right, right. So um, works righteousness, decision theology, they're both kind of, it's, it's part of the same conversation, so we can really tackle these together. Um, it's when we bring anything to our salvation— Right when we have something to do uh, that that leads to us being saved, right, and and so obviously the opposite of that would be um, that we get righteous by doing nothing; that we are saved by God's grace alone through faith alone uh, in Christ alone, right. Uh, so that's that's kind of the the Lutheran uh, classical take on it. Uh, uh, theologians will call it divine monergism, which means um, that God, the divine one, He's the one who is solo mono, doing all of the work, right? So he's the one who's providing all of the energy for salvation. He's the one that's doing all of the work. And of course, uh, as the listener, as the emailer points out, um, that is our perspective. That's our our Lutheran teaching on this. Um, One of the places that I think would be very helpful, and there's Frankly, there's a ton of scripture that we could look at uh, in this conversation. Uh, things in 1 Corinthians 1 and 2, uh, Galatians 5 has some things to say about this, uh, even Romans 8, uh, all throughout the books, book of Acts. Uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of stuff that goes on, and it seems like God is always the one who's doing the saving, right? Um, and it's, it's only in the last couple hundred years of, of the theological tradition that you've really had this rise in people sort of 
I don't know, trying to find where I fit into it, right? Where's where's my contribution to this? Um, and so then, you know, you have Finney with the new measures and all that kind of stuff where you start getting into, you know, um, making decisions for Christ and, and everything like that. And that morphs into what you see in most of evangelicalism nowadays. Um, but if it's okay, um, I thought that it might be helpful for us to take a look at Ephesians 2. Could we do that, Pastor Apple? We certainly can. Cool. How, how much do you want to read of Ephesians chapter 2? Well, I mean, we could just talk through it a couple of verses at a time, if that's all right. Yeah. Uh, really, the first 10 verses are, are what's going to be, I think, the most beneficial for our conversation today. So, All right. So I'll, I'll start reading here in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning yeah. at verse 1. And you were dead. Well, that's, that's harsh. Pause, pause right there. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> pause right there. I didn't know that we were we used to be dead. That's pretty pretty strong language, Pastor Beck. Right, right. And I don't think that that's a figurative death that he's talking about. You know, he says you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Um, and that death is not, death is never a laughing matter. Death is never something to make light of. Death is serious, right? And if we use the word death to describe uh our state of, of being before we were converted, well, then if we're talking about that, then we're going to have to talk about resurrection, which obviously is not something that we're going to bring to the table ourselves. I'll let you get back to the text, so I cut you off way too soon. That's okay. I think it's important that we stop there. You were dead. <laughs> and and to think about works righteousness or decision theology, what kind of works does a dead person do? Rotting, decomposition, you know, how staying many, there. How many decisions does a dead person make? <laughs> don't think they're making any decisions at that point or doing any works. Likely not. All right. So Paul continues. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Okay, so you see there that while we were dead, we were still walking. We were still following the course of this world, but everything that we bring to the table in these first three verses of Ephesians 2 is all bad, right? Um, Everything that we do is, I mean, we were walking, living, breathing dead people according to our sins and trespasses, according to the same kind of disobedience that was at work in, in everyone else, which is important to, to notice. This is this is not just unique to you and me, Pastor Apple. This is everybody, right? And then he says, we were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. We were born um, dying. We were born dead in our sins and trespasses, which is kind of a, that's a, that's a troubling thing to think about. But at the same time, what's going to come next in verses four and following is going to remind us of, of just how grateful we get to be now as Christians towards God. Mm, There is a a very major turn in verse four, all of the sudden, right? but God. Pay attention to who's doing the verbs, verse four, moving on. Yeah. All right. Ephesians 2, beginning now at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So you notice that until that very last phrase from verse 4 through verse 10, the only thing that we are actually doing is right there at the end that we should walk in them. Right, And so there is a sanctification aspect to this. There is a Christian life that we now live in by faith in Christ Jesus. But everything good in verses 4 through 10 is being done by God. You know, Just from a grammatical standpoint, it is stark how everything that we bring to the table is disgusting and wretched and damnable, and everything that God brings to the table is wonderful and filled with grace and producing faith. Everything that God brings to the table brings us to life. So I think that that pretty much sums up our Lutheran take on what is the, what do we do with decision theology? Well, if you can boast about having made, if you theoretically, if you could boast about having made a decision for Jesus, well, then that's not the salvation that we're talking about. You're trying to mix in something that is foreign to Ephesians two. You're trying to take a little bit too much credit there, right? And the same thing for works righteousness. Uh, I mean, how more clear can Paul make it? Not a result of works. It is a gift. That's salvation. Well, and even the faith there is yeah, a gift, not absolutely. just the, the salvation, which comes by grace, but it comes through faith. That faith, too, is a gift, something that God gives to you, such that we don't take credit for our faith. And, and if I can say this way, too, we don't place faith in faith. Right. We place faith in Jesus, which I think, you know, just— uh, you, you you told me to keep reading there as we were going, but I think you could make a bit of a, a break in verse 7, yeah. where verses 4 through 7 really tell you this is what God did to save you. Yes. And then in verses 8 and following, this is now how God gives you that salvation. Right, exactly. But again, all gift. Right. And all God doing it. Right. right. Yeah, I don't think that we could make that more clear. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this, what, the grace or the faith? Yes. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, right? So grace and faith, they are gifts that God gives us, just the same way as he talks about the fact that, that he has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved, right? He has raised us up. All of these things are God's doing. And so I, I, I don't know that we need to really grind this one in anymore because I think that our, our listener, our, our emailer, is already on our side here. Uh, but for the sake of anybody else that hears that, there you go. That's the Lutheran take on, uh, on how you get saved. God does all the work, right? So let's, I guess, move on to um, a little bit more of his, uh, his concerns here, right? Sure. So there's the, the true scriptural doctrine. The Lutheran take is the Pauline take. And the take of all Holy Scripture. Some some might even say that this is the, the doctrine on which the church stands or falls. That would be a good way of putting it. I think so. So the, the question then with that is, are the pastors who preach this false prophets? So those who preach works righteousness, decision theology, those who let that perhaps mix in, the listener does acknowledge that, you know, they say they believe in the saving power of Jesus— but when those things start to slip in, mix in, are they false prophets? I think there's a couple of things going on in this question. One of the, I, I just kind of wrote down, how much false doctrine is too much false doctrine? <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, again, I think there's several things that we can, we can talk when it comes to this particular aspect. He, he is correct, I think, that there are some false teachings that are very easy to identify. Yes. And, and it's very easy to say, 
that is false doctrine. He mentions Joel Osteen, some of the mainline teachings of like the ELCA and others. I, I would even go you know farther. We could say Mormons, yeah. Islam, sure. uh, false religions. These are very easy to identify. Right. But there are some that's, well, yeah, that's false, but what do I do with the teacher? I, I've talked enough, Pastor Beck. I want to hear from you, too. <laughs> well, the first thing that that I would recommend to our listener, uh, to our emailer, is that um, if you're in a situation where your pastor, you believe that he is teaching false doctrine, go and talk to him, right? Um, and I'll, maybe I'm, I'm being too blunt when I say this, that if you're at a congregation that— um, you know, your pastor is unapproachable in a way that you, you don't feel like you can go talk to him, sit down in his office, um, you know, and have that conversation, you know, for whatever reason. Um, maybe you do at that point, just from the from the start, you need to reconsider the church that you're in because, um, you know, Pastor Apple, you and I just a couple of weeks ago were, were lamenting how, you know, when folks have an issue, when they have a, con- a concern, you know, come talk to me. Like we, we have an open door policy for a reason. Please come speak with us. Um, and the reason that I, I bring that up first is because um, <laughs> there are, uh, pa- Pastor Apple, agree or disagree, Lutherans are not great at preaching sanctification. Oh, you, Ooh, I put you on the a, spot. Is that, a, is that a trap? I put you on the spot. Well, we should be good at it. We should be good at it, right? It's, it's all all over our confessions. But it's in the small catechism. It's, it's everywhere, right? right? But here's the deal is that oftentimes, um, you know, sanctification or, or call it, you know, because um, the sanct- sanctification is one thing. The third use of the law is another, the instructive use of the law, right? Um, and then you kind of get into that place where maybe you're, you're starting to tiptoe into some works righteousness, right? Um, and, and so it's, it's super important uh, to clarify um, you know, Pastor, this thing that you said in the sermon the other day, you know, it it didn't ring right in my ears, and I just I want to ask about it. Right, go talk to your pastor about these things, uh, because um, you know, a lot of times, you know, a pastor will say something, and what they are saying is not what you are hearing, right? Um, and that's that's part of the the problem with language in our fallen world um, is that what is spoken is not necessarily always what is heard. Which is fun for a radio show, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. So point number one, just to make sure I'm, I'm following you, yeah. is if you think your pastor, who you listen to preach every week, if you think he's starting to mix in something, right. step number one is to go talk to him. Absolutely. And, and clarify with him. Give him a chance to confess the truth to you. Right. To, to make sure that he's said what you thought he said, or to clarify that, right. go talk to your pastor. If you think he's the one that's starting to maybe mix works or decision into right. justification. Right. What about in, in cases where it's maybe a meme you saw on Facebook oh, or yeah, a sermon you encountered on the radio, you were driving to church and it wasn't the Lutheran hour that you were listening to or the local Lutheran church. It's St. Paul Serban who's on the radio here. Yeah. I don't, and you, you have the moment of hope too on our local radio station, yeah, Pastor I mean. Beck. So if it's not that <laughs> and you, you hear that and you, you hear it regularly, yeah. how, how do you start that? Like, when do you apply the label of false prophet? Where, right. where does that label that receives, you know, the great condemnations, not only in First and Second Peter, but in Paul and elsewhere, elsewhere yeah. the book of Jeremiah that we're studying right now and Sharper Iron deals with this as well. Where does that label start to apply with the condemnations that are spoken in the scriptures? Right. Um, well, and, and I mean, part of that is, is sort of the question that we would talk about, you know, as theologians, uh, the difference between uh, a heretic and someone who teaches heterodoxy, right? So there are Christians 
believe it or not, who are not Lutherans yet. That's right. Right. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I mean, there there are a lot of different co- uh, confessions of the Christian faith, um, and and, uh, and of course, you and I, um, being uh, you know Missouri Synod Lutheran pastors, we have subscribed to the Lutheran confessions because uh, those Lutheran confessions are in accord with the Word of God, um, and we have we have you know made promises to Jesus and to our parishioners um, that ev- all of our teaching will be in accordance with the Scriptures and with the Lutheran confessions. Um, you know, and so that's if we teach something else, then we don't get to be pastors anymore. You and I, right? Um, Baptists are not under that same; you know, they have not placed themselves under that same subscription, um, and so their teaching will be different, right? And, and and praise God for the times when when a Baptist pastor does preach some Lutheran doctrine, right? Uh, but you know, you kind of you need to have your expectations there. If you're listening to somebody who is uh, who is not Lutheran, um, that's one thing, right? And and there are some profitable things that you can learn. Um, I, I, you know, I mean, we had we took classes in college and seminary together, Pastor Apple, um, where we learned about different confessions of the Christian faith, and those aren't bad. It's not a bad thing to understand these things as an academic. Um, uh, type exercise, uh, but to be able to say, um, you know, that these people, we are not in fellowship with them. We are not at one, you know, with them. Um, we, we of course, strive and we pray for that day when we can come together with them. And so, I mean, maybe if it's something that you listen to on the radio, you know, if you're if you're feeling bold and if you're, you're, you're saying, hey, this is the way that I read the Bible, you know, maybe call that pastor up. You know, give some feedback and just say, hey, listen, you know, I'm Lutheran. And they might say, oh, okay, well, I understand where you're coming from. Or maybe they don't know what you believe, right? Um, but you have that opportunity to make the good confession yourself. Um, you know, it's it's one of those, I, I would not say, um, you know, right at the drop of the hat, quit listening to that program on the radio or quit listening to that, you know. Um, but I feel like if something happens, you know, and you're listening to this and it is kind of causing you some, some heartache over it, as apparently our emailer is, you know, saying, wow, you know, this is... This is some false teaching, right? Then you absolutely do need to flee from it. I hate to say that this is a your mileage may vary situation where it's like if you can listen to it and you can learn things that are scriptural from it, then that's okay. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you, you just got to kind of have your eyes peeled. Keep your eyes open for it because when you hear bad teaching, you need to be able to call it that. You need to be able to watch out for it. You need to be able to say, I don't believe that. Um, that is that is not the truth. And um, you know, broken clocks are right twice a day. Um, and so we can we can appreciate when things like that are right. Um, or you could just you know invest a little bit more time in KFUO radio and you know uh, listen listen to more of that kind of radio. That's right. Yeah. I, so I mean, a couple of a couple <laughs> of thoughts. One, you you mentioned the distinction that will sometimes be made, and I do think it's helpful between heresy. And heterodoxy. Right, right, right. Heresy would be when you separate yourselves from true Christian doctrine. Right. And I think, generally speaking, the two major indicators of that are do you confess the Holy Trinity, that the one true God is triune? And do you confess that Jesus is the true Son of God in our human flesh, who is the only Savior? Yes. And once you cross those two lines and stop believing that the one true God is triune and that Jesus is God in the flesh to save you, both of which are mentioned in the Athanasian Creed, which we just confessed on Trinity Sunday. Once right. you cross those lines, then you've crossed out of Christianity, right. out of any form of it, and now you are in heresy. Well, what does is, what is the Athanasian Creed say? It says, this is the Catholic, the universal faith. Right. Apart from such faith, one cannot be saved. So yeah, heresy puts you right out of the church 
period. Right, right. Heterodoxy, um, it, it's it's kind of like a house that isn't built square. There you go. Right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's when you have some issues in your, uh, in your theology, uh, but you still confess Jesus Christ as Lord, you still confess the Trinity, um, and, and so we... I, I don't want to say we squabble over the details because all of the details are tied to Jesus Christ being Lord and the identity of the Trinity, right? So yeah. you don't want to, it's, it's, that's like, you know, I mean, asking which, you know, how much false doctrine is too much false doctrine? Well, you know, if you have a bicycle with spokes on the wheels, right? How many spokes would you, you know, trust, you know, missing spokes would you trust on a bicycle before you say, maybe I shouldn't get on that bicycle, Right. So, I mean, it's, it's the same kind of a deal. And, and I think that, you know, at least in my from my perspective, um, I don't want to get on a bike that's missing one or two spokes. You know, um, I want to I want to be on the very best thing that I've got, you know, and, and you know, I mean, to the point that I made earlier about our, our subscription to the confessions as Lutheran pastors. You know, I, I don't know about you, Pastor Apple, but if I came across a church body that taught the word of God um, in a more pure way than we do, which I don't. Again, I, I haven't found one. I, I believe that we teach the truth of the gospel, right? If I came across a church body that taught the Bible more truthfully, I would be there and not here. Right, right. And yeah. I, so, I mean, when it comes to heterodoxy and the matter of, you know, false prophet, yeah. what you said, how many spokes do you want to have missing? Well, I'd, I'd like to have all of them. Or maybe to right. put it, you know, the other way I've, I've used it, you know, how much poison do you want mixed in your food? How much do you think you can survive? I'll well, have none, please. That's right. So, and, and I think this very much lines up with what our Lord tells us over and over again in the scriptures. There's never a place where we should knowingly subscribe, teach, listen to something that we know is false. Right. There, there's just not any license in the scriptures for that. And so when we know that a teaching is false, we should call it that. We should avoid it. When it comes to the person who's teaching it or believing it, then it it does, I mean, we call it what it is, but we're not necessarily saying that that person no longer has any Christian faith whatsoever. And that's where heterodoxy does become a helpful term so that we don't necessarily throw them under the bus right away. No, of course not. So, False teaching is false teaching. Yes, true. It's bad, it's, and we should avoid it. It's a problem. For example, the teaching that communion is not the body and blood of Jesus is not a Christian teaching. That's not. The not teaching at all. that baptism is not for babies is not a Christian teaching. Agree. The mystery of heterodoxy, in my opinion, is that there are people who are Christians yeah. who do believe that Jesus is their Savior, that they are saved by grace through faith, just like Ephesians 2 lays out. They are Christians, but they still hold on to some of those false teachings. Well, think about it this way, Pastor Apple, because um, here's—and as you're saying that, what's kind of what I'm, what I'm thinking um, is that, um, <laughs> you know, pick your favorite sin, right? Um, that is not Christian, and yet you and I both sit here on the radio as sinners, right? Um, and so, I mean, it's the exact same thing. It's just a, it's a doctrinal sin as opposed to the sin of our thoughts, words, or actions, right? And so, that I mean, that is the, that is the mystery of being saved is that God will still put up with us, that he still loves us, that he still saves us, that he still keeps uh, pouring his grace upon us and creating faith in us in spite of our very best efforts to wreck it all. 
right? Um, and so whether it is a sin of bad doctrine or sin of, of, of whatever, whatever thought that is that plagues us or, or whatever unwholesome talk it is or gossip or, or whatever you know, activity of, 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 of hatred that we have, whatever that is, God still has this desire to call us his own, right? And so, I mean, that's, maybe that's another way of thinking about it is that, yeah, yeah, bad doctrine is sin, Right, it's yeah. sin for which Christ has died, um, and we just had uh, in our gospel lesson this, you know, just yesterday, um, you know, that uh, the sin against the Holy Spirit, uh, blaspheming Jesus, that's the unforgivable one. That's the one, you know, that that if you if you sin in this way, where you say I don't want Jesus, I don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, well, then you have gone and you've stepped over that that boundary from, I mean, being heterodox to now being a heretic. Right, 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 and and again, how like you don't want to test where the line no, is. No, never. You want to be true, and so, and again, to without you know, should we call these preachers false prophets? There is a sense, and I mean, yes, they're Absolutely. not teaching the truth. Yeah, and two Lutheran pastors sitting here are are certainly going to say, if you want to hear true doctrine on a regular basis, go join. A Lutheran church. Absolutely. One that subscribes to the Lutheran confessions because they teach what the Word of God teaches. Right. That's the truth. And and anytime you're hearing something false, mark it. Avoid it. Yeah. At the same time, can we be in conversation with those Christians calling them to repentance? Of course. Yeah. And and are we by that marking them as a false prophet or having false teaching mixed in, are we saying that there is absolutely no chance that there are Christians there? No, that's not what we're saying either. Right. And, and I think that's part of the uh, part of where we're kind of, it's not that we're waffling, but we're, we're trying to say the truth about the salvation by grace through faith. Right. That, and that's, that's part, if I can, just cause I, I looked it up, Francis Pieper, of course, our, our dear friend, he he makes. I never met him. I well, I didn't either. But he wrote some great stuff. Oh yeah. And thankfully, someone translated into English so I can read it. In yes. his in his third volume of Christian Dogmatics, he's talking about heterodox church bodies, and he says he says this: we call heterodox church bodies both churches and sects. So a sect. So is it a church or is it a sect? Francis Pieper says, it depends. It depends on whether we have in mind the good or the evil in them. Churches they are insofar as they still retain enough of the gospel of Christ that men can come to faith in Christ and thus can become true children of God. A sect it is so far that they have combined to further their deviations from the doctrine of Christ and thus cause divisions in the church and by their errors and separate existence constantly threaten the faith of the children of God. And I, I think that's helpful that Francis Pieper wrestles with this as well, that on the one hand, these churches, we would call them a church because they have the gospel of Christ. Right. But on the other hand, we would also label them as a sect and a false church, and those who propagate that teaching as a false teacher, insofar as they are furthering these divisions and these errors that Christ would have no part of. Yeah. And, you know, um, one thing, that you, I, I really appreciate that quote. One thing that you said uh, right before the quote was um, that, you know, we needed to do a good job of making sure that from the start, people know that we're not calling them heretics. We're not right. saying you're not saved. Um, and I think that that's especially in the 21st century where we find ourselves, that is imperative because we are in such a knee-jerk, I mean, there there is no nuance, there is no 
gray area. Everything is either you're this or you're that. Um, and so if you're not with us, you are against us in every single facet of, of, of conversation and life. And so we need to be able to start off, you know, lead with that. You know, listen, I'm not saying that you're not a Christian, but maybe it's not the best thing for you to commune here. Or I'm not saying that you're not a Christian, but I am saying that this is not the Christianity that I know, right? Yeah. So we need to do a better job of, of conversation with one another. Right. And I mean, the reason that this conversation is important is because it does revolve around what the Word of God is. Right. And as to take it back to Ephesians 2 and hope maybe tie things together, Sure. apart from the Word of God and apart from Christ, we're dead. Yeah. And it's only Christ, as he comes to us in the truth of his word, that we will be made alive. And mm-hmm. I'd like to be made all the way alive, not yeah. just halfway alive. That's not how God works. And so let's let's hold on to the truth. Let's, let's call each other as Christians back to the truth that we might have the life that can only come from Christ. Parting thoughts, Pastor Beck. Yeah, yeah, no, I think you you hit the nail on the head right there. You know, it's it's not enough to be not dead yet or part alive or or, or whatever the situation may be. Uh, we want to confess the truth, right? And so uh, I guess the the words to part with are, are find yourself um, a good faithful pastor. Um, if, if your pastor says something that you don't understand or that doesn't jive with what you have been taught, um, clarify it with them. Say, hey, when you said this, did you mean this? And, you know, because pastors aren't perfect. We need that opportunity to repent. We need that opportunity to say, maybe I could have been more clear about that. Um, and you know, a, a pastor worth his salt will probably come out in Bible class and say, I should have put that a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. All right. There you go. Pastor Dustin Beck is the pastor at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Warda, Texas, helping us today on Sharper Iron Back to the Forge to talk about true false doctrine, distinguishing those two things so that we might be made alive by the truth in Christ. Pastor Beck, thanks for joining us today. Indeed. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions for us, comment, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org so that we can continue the conversation. You can use the app, record a 60-second message on that open mic feature to send to us. Thanks for spending the time with us. Talk to you again soon.